Hey, 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 and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 498. My name is Minter Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the wonderful Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please go and visit evergreenpodcast.com. So this week's interview is with Lou Diamond. Lou's a keynote speaker, consultant, podcast and TV host, CEO of Thrive Consultancy, and best-selling author. His latest book is called Speakeasy, Connecting with Every Conversation, which is published by my friends at Page Two. In this conversation with Lou, we discuss his business, how he came up with his personal purpose, the push for transparency of salaries, managing uncomfortable conversations, as well as what's changed since he wrote his last book, Mastering the Art of Connecting. As usual, you'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. And please, if you have a moment, go and drop in on your rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Lou Diamond. What a great name. A, uh, a page two author, best-selling author. Great to have you on my show. Also a podcaster, a man after my own heart, talking about conversation and connecting. So, uh, one of the so in your own words, Lou, who are you? <laughs> I like to describe myself in two ways, Minter. Uh, I am a sales and leadership consultant, and I speak and I write about connecting. And, and putting that all together, um, I work with sales professionals and help them better connect to their targets and prospects. I help marketers better connect their message to their audience, and I help leaders better connect to their people. Because when you understand the skills and the tools and how you can connect, we all, when we are in a connecting flow, if you would, thrive. And that is where I sit and that is what I live and breathe each and every day. I love the fact that you are very upfront with your purpose. I don't remember the exact words, but I know thrive was in it. Um, yeah. Tell us what your purpose is and and more saliently, how did you come to land on this purpose? It's one of those things that throughout my entire life, I have loved to bring things together, yet I, I didn't know that that's what I was all about. Uh, I, I, I started really young working in my dad's retail jewelry store in Brooklyn uh, and was helping to, you know, talk to people and help them sell jewelry and, and connect in a very small space. Uh, went to college, always was the one who was trying to introduce people and bring my worlds together. Worked in consulting for many years and helping to bring companies and ideas to work better together. And then I worked on Wall Street where I was working specifically in a certain niche, trying to bring ideas and products and sales together, running sales teams and people. So so it's always I've always hovered around it. And it was one instance in my life where someone once said to me, what is it that you do that makes you different from other sales leaders or, or, or marketers? And, and I actually didn't know, but people had observed certain skills and things that I was doing. So I, I actually started to research it and ask other people and dive into it. And I realized that I've never made it about a sale or a marketing message or a way a leader should lead. I make it 
about understanding how you need to be together, how you need to be in the moment when you connect with someone, because that is where ideas get fostered. Trust is established. The sale is made. The relationship is established. And, and people actually feed off of that. So connection has always been at the epicenter of what I'm about. And if there was a life purpose, it's only because of all the things I've done in my life to realize how valuable those lessons have been, that when we are connected, we are better. And that has been, it's just been a passion of mine because I want to see more people working more connected, better together in their own personal lives to be more connected to their purpose, just as you've used that, you've asked. So uh, when I when I step into this zone of genius of mine of helping people better connect, I'm better and I see results that end up being more productive, faster, quicker, more more enlightened to what people thrive, moving onward and upward, which is what you do when you connect. So playing it back a bit, the, the beginning part is you didn't really know it. You didn't know yourself. Yeah. But what helped was listening to and connecting the dots of what other people were saying about you. And then finally, you sort of jump into that by going get the research, asking the questions, being more proactive, as opposed to being the receptor of it. Yeah. And then you had to collate it. How, what about that process of collation at the end? to sort of wordsmith it? Was that something that came easily? The specific word of thrive? Yeah. Uh, well, what's really interesting was that my first book was called Master the Art of Connecting. And I, I, I broke down what was called the connecting core. And if you would, these are the muscles inside of us that enable us to connect with others. And it, it, you asked if I was able to come down with the words and where everything came together. Funnily, and obviously as a podcaster, you appreciate this. I actually needed to speak it out first because I was actually teaching and training people these methods first. And it came out better from my voice than it was to actually write it down. So I actually recorded my voice and then transcribed all of it and then worked on the edit smithing. Uh, different from what I've done more recently, which is I've become a better writer over the last decade helping people to better message this. But initially it, it was that, the ability to, to tell that story. And the word thrive is really interesting to me. Uh, when, when, when I created the company, I actually asked the people who I'd been helping beforehand, we had a different name before, and we were rebranding, remessaging. And that was what people felt like after they had worked with me, that wherever they were, they felt like they wanted to get on a faster treadmill, a faster speed, but to elevate themselves to that next level and always make themselves better. And that's where we we broke down moving onward and upward and thriving. And it, it it's ironic because uh, it, it's, a, it's a fun word. And the word has not only become part of the brand, but it's also essentially be, been part of who I am. Uh, people will think of me and think of the word thrive in that regard. So that's a nice little thing to, to, to associate your purpose with the way that people think of you is kind of cool. It certainly is. Yeah. It feels, it has integrity. Kind of, you know, when I love the idea of names and obviously I was just thinking about how your last name and the first job you had was obviously quite related, Diamond. Um, yes. And then uh, then the other thought I had as I was listening was, well, if you're French, anything with TH is always miserable. So uh, your, your French clients are always going to be, Taiva, you know, how do you, speak, how do you pronounce disease? Um, 
your work you mentioned you talked about with marketers connecting with their clients or the commerce collecting well so with the message commercial people connecting with their sell the buyers and and managers connecting with their people to what extent do you believe it's necessary to have a common thread in the way those connections are happening and how wide is the delta from one company to another in that regard it's a spectacular question and it also led to the most recent project that that I launched this year there there is a wide range within organizations on how connected they are just in general is there a connecting culture within the walls or within the <laughs> within the virtual walls in today's world of of the the organization you're in and you know you mentioned to the point of the power of asking questions which is which is a key element on one of the ways you need to be on how you can be a better connector is the organization that i'm working with practicing the best practices of how you can better connect in everything they do not just in the way they speak to one another or work together not in the way that they message themselves to their clients or the work that they deliver are the internal emails representing that are are the the way that they're branding and messaging their company is there a sense when you walk into an organization that there isn't isolated segments and pockets and divisions and areas but it's more of a common theme and a culture a connected culture that everyone is on page with that will help elevate the company higher to your to your question there is absolutely a tremendous range and i i hate to say this but unfortunately uh th there's a great expression about change I, I just had a conversation with a, a wonderful woman named um dr nadia uh jackson baeva and she that was, is that was all, a tough one to say i had to practice it about 15 times did if you well, saw the spelling well. you wouldn't do it there uh, but, but dr nadia uh highlights the importance of change and how we need to literally reinvent ourselves often organizations that embrace change frequently like think of it as taking a shower every day uh, rinsing off and taking off the things that don't work versus you know uh, her her analogy was you know, like a marriage like in your life you probably maybe only get married once or maybe there's another marriage but that thinking of change in that regard that it only happens once in a blue moon is actually essential to how connected a culture is understanding and connected to what what's going on in the market what's going on with your people what's going on with the products and services that you deliver always looking at how you can not only use them and know that what worked yesterday is not going to work tomorrow um, a version of it might but there's some adjustment that needs to accommodate and that part of connecting what you do is important so the assessment and a long-winded answer i apologize is that there is a very wide range and it's understanding how important it is to constantly change that ranges that companies that are very stuck in their old ways and have problems are not nearly as connected as those that are always trying to adapt and reinvent themselves in my and in my observation i see many disconnects between the way there might be an internal management system and messaging and yeah. the way we communicate oh it's a great place to work outside which has nothing to do with the way we communicate inside 
which is different from the commercial branding and the commercial messaging that we do. So this having that consistency feels important. And in your book, uh, Speakeasy, you 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 reference loose uh, not Lou Stern's um, Howard Stern, and yeah. uh, the fact that he's been I think he's been married eight times. You said. No, 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 no. That was Larry King was married. Oh, Larry now. King. Sorry. Howard's only, <clears throat> but yes, Howard's only been married twice. <laughs> there you go. And it, it comes back to a, an important part for me, which is how personal is your professional stance? So, yes, you've learned how to communicate to your team effectively and efficiently, and you're connecting with them. And you're yes, and you're connecting efficiently and effectively with your customers. But are you doing that with your kids? Right. Are you doing that with your spouse? Are you doing that with your friends or do you put on another hat in the way you do that? And, and then, you know, you, you, you end up with maybe a great interviewer, but not so great communicator at home. Yeah. You're, you're tapping into one of the, 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 the ironies of speakeasy. Uh, when I wrote speakeasy, which was, I, I basically decoded where every connection begins and it begins as you and I are in this midst of this right now, which is, it begins with a great conversation. Yet we all know that not every conversation is great. We have conversations we don't connect. We have fleeting chats with somebody that we actually don't resonate. Uh, maybe we're not always listening and there's lots of different things that happen where conversations just don't quite gel. So my general thesis was, well, what if it did? What if every single conversation you had led to a great connection? What is the art of what you need to do? What 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 has to be said? And I realize it's none of those things. And to my point is that it's actually a way you need to be in every single set of that conversations. And I find it so valuable that if you carry over the way you need to be, that connected way of thinking, the speakeasy way to be in your professional and your personal life, you will make them both better. And I think we've all seen this. I, I was just watching recently, I'll use an, um, an analogy, the, uh, the greatest football player that has ever played, uh, Tom Brady. Oh, you mean American uh, football? I, oh, different ha! American football. American football. Yeah. You're right. I, I'm going to give that clarification because I am a I am a football F U T B O L fan. So, uh, but let's go with uh, Tom Brady in American football. Just recently, split from his his wife of uh, 13 years, Giselle, the supermodel from Brazil. Ironic. See, we brought it back to Pele, uh, and he has not been performing as well as he normally is. Obviously, his his activity off of the field is affecting the way he's performing on it. And this is true in our jobs. When we're, we're, when we're not at our best and we're not embracing the way that you know things are going the way they are, it's hard to perform at our best. And, and some people like to isolate and separate that, but that is not the truth, to your point. We have to have both of those things, maybe not in balance, but we have to certainly bring that energy, the, the effort that's required to keep the great connections on in all aspects of your life, your family, your friends, your uh, your loved ones, your 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 pets, your <laughs> the the world you live in, your community that you're in, strangers in you meet in the street, strangers. You, well, what would be the difference, right? You know, like we have. I always, I've never understood when I go to a restaurant, and I you've seen this, I'm sure. Uh, someone kind of takes this obnoxious high road with the wait staff and you know is is maybe not as respectful or is expecting to be served hand and foot as opposed to actually having a great conversation with 
the server and waiter and understand exactly what it is because you're there for the experience and why not make it enjoyable? It always amazes me that this happens. And by the way, this happens in lots of aspects of our lives. Leaders feel, well, now I've been promoted to this particular role. I have to assume a certain way to be. My argument is, is that all of this is connected, pun intended, and we need to make sure that we're always working on that way that we need to be in doing that. And I, and I will tell you that when you do this, you perform better in all aspects of your life. I have always thought this. And, and yet, you know, for having run a large organization, I know how hard it is to, to make it happen with so many moving pieces. It's one thing to have a nuclear family with two kids at home, whatever, uh, you know, a more manageable size, although that's plenty of dynamics and all that. But it, it's something that I feel is very entropic in big organizations because they don't do it. So for somebody, Lou, who has obviously spent a lot of time thinking about this idea of connection, a topic I really enjoy, and I occasionally write about. And your book, Mastering the Art of Connecting, came out in 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I was wondering if you have thought or felt that the way we connect has changed. Oh, great question. Absolutely. Uh, and we we got slapped in the face with it during during COVID, right? Uh, it, it, the, the interesting thing that we learned uh, in being isolated, specifically in that window of time when we weren't actually physically in an office together, always had to be in person. And, and uh, for those listeners, we are, we're using Zoom right now as the way for us to communicate and connect. So this is the virtual way that a lot of us have been spending our time. Uh, I think what we actually now understand is the energy that is required to make the connection you need to make in the conversations you have. And I think it, it's always been there, but it is. I think the right way to think of it is the spotlight has been now zoomed in a little bit more onto how much energy is required to connect to somebody when you're not in the same room with them. And also the, product, the productivity level has also changed, right? Uh, I always joke about it, if you have eight people on a combined Zoom call virtually, only one person can speak at a time. And I know this sounds really interesting, but in an office meeting, you think it's more effective when only one person is speaking at a time, but there's some other side conversations or quick reactions that actually looks. get lost. Looks. looks, looks, reaction, feels, um, energy. There's an energy that happens when you're in a room together that one can feel. So we've lost a little bit of that on the frequency level that we'd like to. We're back to it significantly now. I, a lot of people are in these hybrid worlds. And what that what that means is we actually have to consciously work on how we need to be to stay more connected more often uh, and not try and be disconnected in that way. So has it changed the way we need to connect? A little, uh, it has, but it's also put the spotlight on us that we have to make this the first priority, which has kept me pretty busy, by the way, mentor, to get organizations to understand the importance of this connection in every aspect of what they do. Because as we've all learned, um, we are, are more connected than ever virtually and technologically, but that has kept us and the and the effort that is so important a little bit further away. So the effort to make sure that we have that same in-person experience in wherever we are, that effort has become the focus and epicenter that we need to be working on. And where does that start? 
making sure that what we, every conversation we have is focused on the things we need to do in the time that we need it to be. Yeah, probably the time thing we need to talk about, but um, mm -hmm. it, it strikes me that we've become more attentive to the personal questions in in that we've gone through this health crisis and, and now people may have health, mental health issues or physical health issues. That takes time to listen. And so, whereas before, if you're a New Yorker, one minute is, you know, a freaking hour, <laughs> uh, that needs, we need to find the time in order to have those conversations because we can't just do whoop do you okay yeah good 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 how's your good 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 yeah we'll go next into your transaction and so i have a feeling that there may be not a a, a real registering of that space for i think you call it all in where you're really listening to people all in being present and especially in new york when you got honking going on things are happening bye 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 you know we're, <laughs> I lived in New York. I know my New York stuff, but making sure you have the time to do, do are, are people, do you feel adjusted sufficiently? So this now gets to time. And, and uh, one of my, my big things is be brief, be bright, be gone, right? We have to, that's how I close every podcast show I do. And it's also a real important message, but I want to talk about brevity here. Uh, every conversation is a gift. The opportunity for two people to actually connect on this planet is such an appreciated moment that the way that we can help us focus is to appreciate that opportunity in the moment that we're in. It doesn't have to be very long. When you give the sense of appreciation, someone feels it. When you show the respect of someone's time, which actually is, listen, I only have a little bit of time to have this quick conversation and touch base just to be able to show the general respect and appreciation of having that conversation to another enables that person to know that even though I might not be able to get everything done in the conversation I'm going to do right now, I want to talk to that person again and make sure they stay connected to this person and when the next window of time appears. So it is that moment of appreciation in any chance you have and also appreciating the time that someone's willing to give up. Um, one of the things I've been encouraging a lot of companies to do, I'm sure you've seen this as well, is uh, make shorter meetings. Make shorter meetings on your on your time schedule. You don't need 30 minutes for every meeting. You don't need an hour for every meeting. Uh, block off a, a, a shorter chunk of change of that to focus on the work that needs to get done. What I do encourage is if you're in the in-person situation, that gives add the extra time to actually have longer in-person conversations of more of a casual nature or more of a how the business is doing type of conversation. So the task and tactical components can be done more quickly so we can get to the work, but more importantly, that we can get to back to the, having that longer conversation that we have so we can better understand who we're working with and the people we're with. It is that aspect of time, appreciation, and brevity that's really valuable that I, that I encourage and want others to focus. Every conversation is a gift treated as such. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, 
thought leaders and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. And what I hear there is, is being smart about finding the time by cutting down things that are, let's say, more prosaic, easier to do, task orientation, delivering a brief, but that then cut out allows for more time for real connection. Yeah. I'll use it in a sales situation as well. And this is one of the big things about the ability to connect, engage, and win in every conversation from a business perspective. Salespeople, when they go into meetings, are so focused, Minter, on talking about themselves, about all the great things that they have in a, in a pitch, what we've built, our capabilities, who we've worked with, the great people on our team, how great our brand is, blah, 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 all this stuff. Reality, nobody cares. They only care about how you, as the potential salesperson, are going to help the person that's the buyer in this particular case. How are you going to help me? I, I, I work with sales teams to say, ask the questions to understand the environment you're in and you will speed up the entire sales meeting. You'll, you don't need to go through who you are and all that stuff. They'll figure that out. They can go on the website. They can go look it all up. Hear what their problems are, learn what they need, and now try to match what you offer right then and there just to that. Don't go on to the whole history of the company. I mean, and and the, the biggest, uh, the biggest problem makers or the biggest uh, people at fault when it comes to this are the founders and CEOs of these organizations when they're involved in the sales meeting because they 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 want to give the whole picture because I started this thing off when it was just me and there was nobody else. Now we have an organization and now it's built. I want to tell you the whole history of everything I've been through so you can understand the pain I've been through. Minter, nobody cares. What they, The thing that you care about in that moment is how this person's going to help you. And this is the thing, you know, you've read the book and Speak Easy, I talk about the currency and connection is help. If you want to connect to somebody, whether it's a friend, a loved one, a work colleague, a prospective client, your future audience and your brand message, make sure you inject how you help someone else in your communication and the way you converse with another. It is that that we will buy because that's what we want. We want to be helped. We don't like to ask for it all the time, but we want to be helped. So show someone how you can help them. Show someone how you're going to give them value. Show someone how what you are bringing them is going to make the other person better. And that's where we'll connect. And too often, we're so much focused on talking about how we've helped ourselves that we miss out on how we could help another. Focus on that. Currency of connection is help. I did like that sentence. The currency of connection is help. Something that uh, stuck out for me as I read it. For sure. And that the idea of the CEO that blabbers on and tells everything oh. to totally connect to that. It, it makes me think of, though, sometimes we, we give good context to a certain thing. And, and we, we feel like we need to qualify a sentence because today you can say something and it's taken out of context. It's the wrong word. And then you may have been quick, brief, but might have missed the arrangement to make it understandable. And, and so there's challenge in that. And, and to this point of brevity, I, I think people 
there's, uh, and the reason why I'm writing myself about conversation is I feel that there's so much need to talk. <laughs> People don't actually feel heard. Yeah. And so in the, I need to talk, well, there, this, I know this, I've seen that. And they spill their guts, their stories. And, and at the end, they've just spoken for a half an hour. Oh, Lou, you're a great person. All you did was listen. You yeah. don't, they, they don't even know you, but they still think you're a great person. It's a it's a silly analogy that that others have used. I didn't come up with it. Uh, we have two ears and one mouth. We should probably use them proportionally. And when it comes to any conversation, uh, the importance of listening is so valuable. Uh, and and it's and and make it clear, like some of it says, well, if I'm just listening or I'm just asking the question, how am I getting a conversation? There is a pace and rhythm to this. We actually figured out it's like three to one. Ask three questions and then respond. And the in the um, and then kind of like a I, I understand mentor is a, is an active anything that has a racket so it's like a tennis match a little bit uh imagine you win a couple of points and the other one wins one and now it kind of ping pongs back and forth to get the conversation and a flow going and, and what i have found and i think everyone has and, and this skill that you are exerting and do have done so well is one of the wonderful ways to improve the way you have conversations. Because uh, everyone always says to me when I've hosted on my show, back to back to back to back episodes, they go, aren't you exhausted after that? I go, actually, I'm doing a lot less of the talking. <laughs> I'm doing a tremendous amount of listening. I'm asking really good questions. And I get to practice that skill behind the microphone. Uh, being a guest, as you know, as I've, 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 uh, shown in this particular episode, you do most of the talking. So uh, it's not nearly as tiring, but but it, listening does require a lot of energy. Don't, don't mishandle that. And really being focused and listening is what's important. Uh, there's, a, there's a great stat, I know you'd love this. 98% of the time we engage in what's called individual listening. That's called listening level one, where we relate everything that we hear to ourselves. And this is, by the way, because of years ago when we heard a creek in the forest, that thing was either food for us to eat or was going to eat us. So we really needed to be very conscious about that. So we're very focused on listening and understanding how it will affect us. And less than 2% of the time, we are focused on a focused listening, a listening level two, where we are only concerned with the individual we're speaking with. And for those listeners who just heard that stat and said, wait a minute, 98% of the time I make everything about me or I'm all focused on me. If you did think that proved my point, the general idea <laughs> though is <laughs> the general idea is that to tap into focused listening is hard. We want to make it about ourselves. Uh, if, if I, if I asked uh, mentor about like, we did, we did this earlier and I totally engaged in this. I shared that uh, I just played pickleball last night and he had just played paddle tennis and I instantly ran into some, I said, oh, well, I know somebody that, that plays that sport as well, as opposed to asking more questions to mentor and like, what do you like so much about it? How do you think it compares right. to other things? Try to, when you have conversations with people and you're asking questions, to take yourself out of the equation and watch what happens. Watch how the person that you are having a conversation with will become more engaged. And here's why. Since 98% of the time, we're very focused on ourselves. When someone's listening to us, we love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so spin, the, spin the wheels on this and take yourself out of the equation and focus on the individual who you're talking to. And the incentive to do that, 
uh, I, I feel is on two levels. One is the energy that's procured by leaning into someone else's life and, and listening in that intention, instead of focusing on you, you're, you're, you're expanding. And then there's also, you might even learn something. Uh, you you, you, you do every time you do, you learn something every single time you have a conversation. If you let yourself allow yourself to do so. Yeah. I agree. If you, cause <laughs> if you talk about you, well, you know, you, I mean, hopefully at least somehow, I wanted, there's a number of things that I want to talk about and the time being limited. This one seemed like a really big one. You being based in New York where over, I'm not sure exactly the time frame, but recently there's been this push to make transparent all salaries of people working in business. So I'm not sure to what extent that is actually happening and I haven't checked on sites, but I, I know it's been quite a kerfuffle. You also talk about in your book, Speak Easy, the idea at the end, you have these different mixologists and different <laughs> ideas, but you talk about how difficult it can be to talk about money, or at least yeah. how touchy a topic is. And I think certainly uh, for having worked in many countries, the, the way we talk about money is very different from one country, from one city to another. But I was wondering what you thought, Lou, about the idea of transparency of salaries uh, in the context of the idea of money is value is my value. Yeah, and that, and you're 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 actually giving the, the key breakdown between the two. What what is value, and what is the cost or the money of that value? Right, and and that's that's always been a a game. A lot of people will use the analogy. You know, if you put the value forward first, you see the value and the price of what that value is is behind it. Whereas if you lead with the money. You don't see the value as much. But in transparency of salaries, uh, I think we have to take it to professional sports athletes uh, where in almost all of the sports and and in no other sport is it more evident than in uh, professional football, uh, as in soccer from FIFA, in that fiefdom organizations, where you literally hear of the companies paying transfer fees just to be able to get the the player that they're wanting and then playing them. I believe in the UK, they actually um, communicate what they make per week, I believe is how they communicate it, as opposed to what an annualized salary is. And it's broken down on a weekly level. And you, uh, could, you, could, you can actually make it, break it down to a minute by minute level right. on a pitch because <laughs> it's a lot of moolah. Oh, it's it, it's it's a lot of money. Uh, and And I used to always say that, like in the entire world knows exactly what you're making. Uh, there's a lot of judgment that can happen from that, especially in, in, a, in sports where you're where your performance is on display and you can literally say, am I getting my money's worth for this particular uh, person? Well, in in business, shouldn't that be the same question anyway? Shouldn't we actually be having the conversations? Um, we we understand that that certain people deliver different values and and over the years, they've accumulated a higher salary over time. Uh, one of the greatest things about the professional sports model, and I say this from a business point of view, is you have to evaluate someone's performance over a certain window of time, and then it stops. The contract ends, and now you have to renegotiate what that is. Are you are you going to be more valuable tomorrow um, than you were yesterday? And if you think about in business, that's a it's a wonderful way to to think about salaries. Our issue has been that they've been so private because we're now talking not just about 
an elite group of people who all make millions of dollars in one tier or another, right? Because it is so much money and, and, it, and whatever level it's been. However, I think there's some real value to it uh, when you understand what someone at least works from their employment and their main salary, right? We understand that there's a lot of other monies, other dollars. Um, Leone Messi owns a private equity firm now. Messi is paid tens of millions of dollars from his football, soccer, whoever his uh, soccer, uh, his um, endorsement deal is, whoever the soccer brand is. I think he's, is he Adidas? I think it's who it is. Whoever it is. I, I, I don't even <laughs> he, know. He's making, he's making millions on other stuff that we don't exactly know about, but it is very clear what he makes on the team that he plays with and for who his employer is. And since in, in public companies where certain levels of the salaries have to be publicly communicated, which are the CEOs, why shouldn't that transparency be filtered down to the rest of the organization. I guess the general idea would be this, that in public organizations, you can make that argument that you probably should be showing the salaries and seeing what people are worth and have conversations about it. And it won't be as big of a deal then if it's more spread out throughout all organizations that this is what it is and this is what you make and this is how it is. And, and I'll use it in this front. It's interesting because when people enter the workforce and they graduated university, it is very commonly known what the initial starting salary is for the people entering the workforce. It is very public. It is very well known because it has to be because they're competing for other new people entering the workforce. Graduate law school. They know what those starting losses, salaries are at those firms. It's, it's the in-between and the up and beyond that you don't know. And I think the more transparency is a good thing and also will enable organizations to be more efficient and have easier conversations about it and not make it so awkward and uncomfortable in the workplace because you, you are going to have to deliver your value all the time. Yeah. I mean, there's so many conversations which aren't happening in the business, yes. for example, around who you are as a person and purpose and, and other things. So in the time we have left, I want to a little bit zero in on your book. Uh, which I'm encouraging people to 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 read, speak easy. Uh, and so we're not going to talk about everything in the book, but let's just start with all the same. What is a good conversation uh, in your mind? A great conversation. <laughs> uh, a good conversation is one that when you're having it, you actually feel good. You feel uplifted. A good conversation leads you to wanting to have another conversation with that specific individual or group of individuals. A good conversation is one where everyone involved in the conversation learns and grows and to what we talked about earlier, moves onward and upward, gains something from that conversation. So the, those are those are the things, but there there is a feeling of feeling good when you enjoy it. You feel happy. You smile. It actually lifts you up. You absolutely uh, gain an advantage um, that you want to speak to that person again, and then you feel like there's been knowledge shared or gained, and your world has gotten bigger. If you think of a conversation of two circles of each one of your own worlds, when you have the conversation, you connect, you overlap those circles, and you kind of grew from that particular instance. You learn something from someone else. That's where that's what good conversations are all about. I, I do like that first part of the definition, which is that it makes you feel good because yeah. it doesn't have the pretension of saying what it needs to be about per se. Although I think that's important because small talk 
uh, I suppose, at some level, for some people, can make you feel good. It it certainly does. Like just to hear little bit, little tidbits of what's going on in in your life, or how was your weekend, or what did you think of the game last night, or you know how how was how was your paddle tennis? Did you win or lose? What, what, whatever it is, you know, just to hear those little stories. Those little stories fill in a lot of information and spaces in the creative components of our lives. You know, if you if you think about a good book that you read, that's a, a fiction book. You know, there's some main story that is is the arch and the the crux of what's happening but it's all the little color commentary or adjustments that help you build and understand who that character is and who another one is all those great great authors do such a good job of describing rooms scenes locations people in certain ways that those are those little sidebar small talk conversations that you're having that you're just reading and absorbing we love them and they do make us feel good because because we have our own little tidbits and and uh, things that we want. So that, that's why I urge urge the, the, the it's how you need to be in those conversations. And when you're enjoyable in that sense, people want to talk to you more and you want to connect with them more. All right. So I have a, an experience I want to share with you, Lou. It's, it's not in my honor. I, two times recently, and I just wrote about it, I thought I had two very interesting, meaningful conversations. They were deep. We mm -hmm. talked about supremely important, intimate, difficult shit, and it was powerful. So at the end, I felt energized, if not in a you know, hyperbolic manner, but in a sense of connected to the story. And I felt like the need to continue it. I sent messages to both individuals afterwards, we exchanged information, and neither of them replied. Hmm. which leads me to this point that sometimes it's asynchronized or it, it is not the same on both sides. You think it was fun, but the other person might've taken insult to the, your sense of humor because you touched on something that talks about my past or something. Hmm. And that notion of understanding how good it was for the other, I, I misread that feeling, I think, or, didn't did did I not have enough small talk to form some consolidation because I went just too deep too quickly? Yeah, and I'm gonna hit you on something that I think is important, which is one of the the key parts of knowing how deep to go in a conversation or knowing where to go, and it's asking for permission. Uh, one of the the things that that I, I like to do on on and we we do it in certain ways, little little expressions like, is it okay if I ask you about or can I can I inquire more about that topic or can can we go deeper? It, literally asking, is it okay to talk about that? And 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 what that does, first of all, that there's this permission asking thing which gets somebody who says, of course I would love to go down that conversation, but it's the courtesy of asking that person uh, versus being. It, it, there's a difference between being asking and listening versus talking and telling. And a lot of times what will happen is, is that we will hear things from that conversation and start to dive down a way that might be a direction that feels uncomfortable to somebody else or feels a little too forward. And it's important in those conversations, one, to ask for permission in the beginning to go there. And when the conversation wraps, to make sure that you do what's a really good follow-up component of a conversation, which is to make sure like, hey, can we do this again? Did 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 I did you know almost like a check back? Did that go too far? If it did, because there might be 
an instance of where somebody said, you know, I, I didn't really connect on this or, you know, I didn't want to go down there. And it's OK. You could do a recap. Uh, it, it, it's fine. We, we we are not perfect. There is no perfect conversation. And we're not always at our best when we sometimes forget to ask for permission because we're excited about something or we feel or we feel we've earned the trust from previous parts of a conversation. I always use it as a little bit of an extra caution. I've been told, stop asking me permission to do this, but I'm doing it intentionally because it's what good coaches would do is before they start diving down a personal way to understand where somebody's at, ask the question so you get the answers and get the person you're speaking with to provide you the pathway for you to go in that conversation and how deep and how far or how little <laughs> you need to go within that conversation. That's a, it's a great tip and, and it's a safety precaution too that people will see the respect you're giving them in the conversation as well when you ask them for permission. Something I shall need to integrate, Lou, into my <laughs> conversations, asking for permission. All in. Um, Lou, thank you so much for this. Uh, I, I feel like I learned. I connected. Um, I listened. I, I, I hope uh, I learned. And how can anybody find out what you're up to? Get your book, yep. uh, Speak Easy, or even your last one, Master of Art, the Art of Connecting. Uh, what are the best ways to connect with you? The easiest way to find me anywhere is at Thrive Loud, T-H-R-I-V-E-L-O-U-D. Uh, Thrive Loud or Thrive Loud, however you want to say it. <laughs> uh, uh, all the social handles, that's where I am on every social media platform and at thriveloud.com. And if you're interested in grabbing a copy of Speakeasy, you, I made it even easier for you. You can go to speakeasybook.com and it'll take you right there. Another page to author. Uh, lovely to connect. Thank you, Lou. Truly a pleasure to be here, Mentor. Awesome. And I want your accent. I want to bottle it, keep it, and use it when I want to sound even more intelligent than I think I can. <laughs> Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Dial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on MinterDial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. Innate. I'm 
of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 